0: Good to be here with you this morning, and uh, I don't know, it's probably been about a year since I was back. I don't know if you, I was back about, I think, last summer, and I had an opportunity to preach here, and I don't know if you remember that sermon. It was a sermon that was very dear to my heart, and I used a vase to to illustrate my... My sermon, and I broke up on the stage. How many people were here for that sermon about a year ago? Yeah, awesome. It was a great time being with you guys. So much. It's. I told Pastor Mark. I said, you know, this is the third time that you've asked me to come back here to the church to preach, and third time time is usually a charm. <laughs> so I'm hoping that uh, that uh, it's a charm for you this morning, and uh, it's. He's asked me to come back, so that's a good thing, right? So I'm so happy to be with you guys, and uh, it's always a privilege to come and to, to talk to you and to know what God is doing in this place this morning. Um, if there's anything that I really, really appreciate... Oh, by the way, it's amazing what a year does. I have to wear glasses now because I can't see. And uh, so so now it's a whole, a whole new world for me. And uh, But I'm really appreciative of what this church is doing and what God is doing in this church. And I, I'm preaching a message this morning that... Um, it's from the Old Testament. You know, there's a lot of churches across North America that have sort of blown away the Old Testament and saying that it's not re- relevant for today, that we live only by the cross and, and the New Testament. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the story I'm going to share with you is a story that I feel is going to, it's relevant, you're going to connect with it, and uh, I think it's going to be a great morning of shaping for us today. Today. Fall is probably one of my favorite seasons of all the year, that and spring. Fall brings beauty and uh, just of what God is doing in our lives. And it's a season of shaping, preparing us for what is to come in the next few months. Well, this morning, I'd like to prepare, have you guys prepare yourselves. If you have your Bibles, if not, we're going to have the words on the screen. Um, we're going to be looking into the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to delve into the life of Elijah, uh, one of my favorite prophets. Um, I really believe you're going to be challenged by this message this morning and what's called the season of shaping. But before we get into the message this morning, I want to give you the context of what has happened over the past 200 years. uh, When there were 19 consecutive evil kings spanning over that uh, 200-year period in the northern kingdom. And this is the time in which Elijah is living. And what is quite astonishing to me is they're just not ineffective leaders. They are evil kings who have spanned over this 200-year period. And there was a very evil king named Ahab. You may know his name. You may even heard of his his equally wicked wife, whose name is Jezebel. Some say the most wicked woman who had ever lived. Probably not a label that she really wanted to put upon herself. But uh, it was a wicked time. And under their reign, the Bible said that Ahab had done more evil in the eyes of God than any other king. Before him. So it sets the stage of what Elijah is about to do and what's going to happen in his life. So, under the reign of Ahab, we're talking about false gods, turning people to false gods, sacrificing of children, engaging in sexual activities in the temples, uh, scandals, idol worship. We're talking really, really dark times that Elijah is living in. And finally, God stepped up and said, You know what? Enough is enough. And the uniqueness of this story is if you look past in some of Israel's history, you'll see that God often will raise up an army to go in and to obliterate the the, the craziness that's happening of all the temple worship and those things that were against him. But God does something interesting in this story. He doesn't raise up an army at this point to go against King Ahab. He raises up one Man in one man alone, and I would dare say that in today's world, God is looking to raise up individuals to make change in the area in your Jerusalem, in the span of what you do in your home, in your schools, in work. And God is looking to raise up an individual like Elijah to take a stand for truth. Maybe God's going to raise you up, young person, in the school that you're in against purity. Uh, As young business leaders, maybe some of you need to take a stand for integrity. God may raise up someone here to go into politics. Please, God, do that (laughs) and stand for what is true. But God doesn't always raise up an army. He often raises up a person to make a really big difference in the sphere of influence that you would have, that no one else does. So in our text today, we're going to see that very thing as he raises up Elijah, the very man whose name means the Lord God is the one true God. He's going to stand down the king who had turned so many against the one true God. So we're going to pick it up in the story here in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I apologize, my scriptures may not line up completely to what's on the... uh, What's behind me, but you'll get the gist of what we're doing here. So let's go ahead and, and we see the beginning of the story. We don't really have a lot of background as the story unfolds about Elijah. We simply know him from where he's from. So just like I'm identified as Ken McDonald from Paris, Ontario, this is how the scripture begins. It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishp in Gilead. So that's where he's from. He said to King Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. So right away, he's attacking the fact of the false gods that Ahab has had these people turning to and worshiping. He says, As the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. Now, if that was a movie line, you would hear the music go, bum, bum, bum. Because it is such a uh, judgment against this nation and the king and, who, and what he's doing. And so it's a prophetic judgment that there's going to be no rain for the next few years. Now think about it. Now a lot of, I'm sure many of you here are farmers. So you understand the importance of rain and what that does for agriculture's sake. And there's going to be an agricultural meltdown that's going to happen in this area. We're talking shutdown, starvation, People dying because of no rain, not for a month, not for a few months, but for years to come. This one man stands down, this evil king, and says, no more rain. And I can't imagine the faith that Elijah must have had to declare that the king King Ahab and to do that. So the battle is on. So unfortunately, or I guess maybe fortunately, God does something a little bit different in this story. He takes Elijah, what's called a season of hiding. And we're going to watch this over a period of time as God begins to do uh, a work in Elijah's life. So God goes, takes Elijah away so he can do so much more in his life. So why? Because there's so much more God wants to do through him. It's a season of preparation. There's so much more I need to do in you, Elijah, because there's so much more I want to do through you. So let's look at this scripture, and we're going to look at three seasons of preparation that God takes Elijah through. And I'm sure there could be people here this morning that you're going to identify with one of these seasons, or maybe not. But I will guarantee you, eventually through your faith walk, you're going to experience one of these seasons that Elijah is going to experience. So let's get into the, to the scripture here. So my first point, if you're taking notes, and I always encourage people, take notes because two hours from now, you're not going to remember a thing I've said anyways. So, so go ahead and take notes. And the first point is, is God takes him through what I call a season of isolated pain. And God is pretty pretty cool when he is working on, it's my heart, when I was preparing this sermon because my family and I, we've been going through an isolated season of pain. Uh, and as I was doing this sermon, we found out that my dad has cancer. And so it was such a slam to us. It was a few days ago we found this out. And now I'm preaching about isolated pain and dependence and obedience on God. And I'm preaching not just to you this morning, but the sermon sort of takes on a whole different light from my, my life. But that's just the way God does things. That's actually pretty cool. So, see, God takes him through what I call a season of isolated pain where he's very alone. He's got no one else to call to. He has no one to go to. He's hurting very privately in this season of hiding. So we've heard him declare this prophetic judgment over Ahab and the land, and then immediately, not one day, not two days, immediately after he pronounces his judgment, in verse 2, it says, then immediately after that, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan. Someone say with me, Kareth Ravine. Okay, Hold on to that word because we're going to be talking about that a lot uh, this morning. So if you don't know what the word kareth means, if you're taking notes, uh, the Hebrew word of kareth actually means to be cut off or cut down or cut off from the source, to be cut off from the blessings, or very literally, it means to cut down like you would chop down a tree. So you can almost see, sense what God is already preparing Elijah 4, a season of breaking, a season of humbling, a season where God's going to teach him to be totally dependent on him and he's going to humble him privately before he can use him publicly. He's going to do something very, very deep. And there's some of us, maybe here this morning, you're facing your own Kareth, your own Kareth ravine, where you feel isolated, where you feel cut off, where you just seem like no one's around. You're like, God, where are you in this moment of my life? And oftentimes, as God is right there doing a deep work in you, if you just take a moment to see, it's almost like this little bird uh, that knew it was time to fly south for the winter. But he got off to a very, very late start and got caught in a snowstorm. And the snow and the sleet were so fierce that it got on his little wings and they started to freeze. And all of a sudden, all this pelting started happening. And he came in for a crash landing, realizing his wings were frozen and he couldn't fly. He just resigned to this horrible death and said, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. I'm going to freeze to death. When all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a cow comes along. He stood over top of the little bird and dumped on him. It's farming country. I figure I can talk like this. Just a load of manure falls on this little bird, and the bird says, I thought it was bad. I was going to freeze to death, and now I'm under this manure. It's the worst thing ever when all of a sudden the warmth of the manure begins to loosen up his wings, and his little frozen body is able to move again. He's able to move his wings, and all of a sudden, he says, you know what? I might live. I might live. And he's chirping and chirping and chirping, and then all of a sudden, one of Satan's leading creatures, I call it a cat, showed up, heard the bird chirping, he dug through the manure, killed, and ate the bird. I know. I know. Three lessons we can learn from this story today. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. But most importantly, lesson number three, when you're in manure, keep your big mouth shut. So some of you, you might be in this Careth ravine in your life right now, and you're feeling broken, and you're feeling cut down, and those things that you used to depend upon, you no longer can depend on those things any longer. And God may say, "You've got to understand, I'm doing something in you." You may not see the beauty in the affliction at this point, but you got to trust me that I make all things beautiful. It's in His time. It reminds me of a story. Uh, Of when my wife and I uh, we moved to Florida, and uh, I love leading worship. I've been doing it for years and years and years, and uh, doing choirs and directing choirs. And my wife's downstairs somewhere; she would attest to this. And uh, we moved to Florida, and it was our season of our Kerith Ravine. And I was looking for a job. I couldn't find a job, and I finally was able to find a job as a, a a diesel fuel conditioner maker. Now, that doesn't make any sense. That's terrible English. But that just shows you how badly I didn't want this job. And if you know anything about me, that's just not who I am. And so I had to, every single day, take this big piece of just nothing metal. And it would just, there. here it is, Ken, do something with it. And I'd open up this machine and put in the vise and tighten it up. And this, the bit would come down and start chipping away and, and forming at this really piece of ugly metal. And then it would stop. I have to open the doors, take the coolant, spray the coolant off, get the coolant all over me. And I would leave, and I'd go home, and I would say, God, what are you doing? I'd be crying. I don't understand what you're doing. This is not what I want to do. Why do you give me this job? Go back, do the same thing, and do the, in the vice, and cutting, and coolant, and then it stops. And i got to pull it out, and i got to take a file and knock all the burrs that were all over the piece of metal, put it back in, and then Let it finish its crafting. And when it was all done, and I took the piece of metal out, it came out as a shiny piece of metal that was shaped and formed for a purpose. And God spoke to my heart in my Kareth ravine and said, Ken, if you had just taken some time to listen, this is what I was trying to show you. You are that ugly piece of metal and i'm shaping you and i'm forming you into the purpose that i've called you and when the world gets all over you in those little burrs of life my hand is the file that knocks off those birds burrs until i've completely perfected you into the person that i've called you to be bad timing god because I'm at my machine, he's showing me this. I'm sitting there crying at my machine, and all these people are around me. And my boss is walking, are you okay? Do we need to go outside? Is everything? And it's like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. God's showing me things. He was a Christian, so I could tell him that, and he understood. So that was my careth ravine. And I'll tell you, God was showing me so much and what was happening in my life. And maybe you're there. But God had me there on purpose, and maybe what you're going through this morning, God has you there on purpose in that period of maybe alone time and not hearing from God because God is trying to show you something. The more that God breaks you, the more God is preparing you for something greater. Number two, we talked about isolated pain. This is the season of what I call total and complete dependence. This is where Elijah depends on nothing but God and God alone. Verses 4, 5, and 6 say this. God says, Elijah, you will drink from the brook that I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kerith Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. The first thing that pops out for me in the scripture is the fact that these birds that God had orchestrated brought him meat. Sorry, vegetarians. And all those meat lovers in the house this morning said... And praise be to God in highest. Yes. So here we see Elijah all by himself. And God does this miracle in the middle of a drought. There's no water going on. But this brook comes up out of nowhere because it's a miracle. God is doing it. And then we get this heavenly catering service coming out of the sky, helping Elijah, giving the food that he needs. These birds feed him day in and day out. What was God doing In this, by the Kareth ravine of Elijah's life, God was very clearly and very distinctly saying, I will be faithful to you. You can count on me to provide to you. And many of you right now, in the season that you're going through, the things that you trusted in your security, these things that have been taken away, you have nothing but to depend on God and God alone. God will always and forever be faithful to you. And I can't, I've always made it my mandate that if I ever go to a church to preach about something, it's something that I haven't already lived or understood. So what I'm talking to you this morning, I've gone through it in my life. My family's gone through it, and we're still going through some things. But this is our time where God is helping us to understand, I'm with you. You can depend on me. I am faithful. Even when you don't see it, I am still faithful. It's like this single mom who knew this very, very well. She would pray every single day, very loudly in her apartment. She would pray to God and worship him for his provisions. And she lived next door to a person who did not like what she was doing. He who hated hearing her prayers through the very thin walls and she would worship God and he would come over and say, lady, you're a fool. There is no God. And then one week she didn't have enough money to sustain her to the end of the month. And she was crying out to God. Oh, God, please, God, I need you to provide for me. You've always been faithful. I know you will come again. God, please provide for my children. And this person next door had had enough. And so immediately, he went to the grocery store, bought several bags of food, brought it back over to the woman's apartment, put it right in the front of her door, knocked on the door, ran, and hid in his apartment. She came out and saw the food, and she's like, oh, God, thank you so much. You're so good. Thank you for providing. And he jumped out and said, you fool. There is no God. God didn't do that. I did it just to prove to you that there is no God, and she just worshiped God all the more. Thank you, oh God. You provided for my needs, and you used the devil to do it. (laughs) Forever and ever, God is our provider. When you can't depend on what you used to be able to depend on, you can depend on God. And this is the cool thing that God does. See, when God came to Elijah, God gave Elijah just enough for that day. It wasn't too much. It wasn't too little. Every single day, those ravens came and provided for that day and that day alone just enough for what Elijah needed. And so I'm telling you today, when you feel like God is not there, and you're going through a season of hurting, and you're alone, and you're afraid, guess what? God will give you enough for that day. It doesn't mean he's not going to do it tomorrow, but he knows that you don't need to worry about tomorrow, because to let uh, tomorrow worry for itself, God says, don't be anxious about anything. Live for today. Let me to let me do what I need to do today for you. Let me be your comfort for today. And when you don't have much, let God be your provision for today. When you're feeling weak, let God be your strength for today. When you feel like your friends have left you, let God be the friend and the lover of your soul. God was teaching Elijah. He was breaking him, cutting him, humbling him, and teaching him total dependence. When he has no ability to provide for himself, God will always provide. And thirdly, and lastly this morning, we've talked about the isolated pain. We've talked about the total dependence on God. And then there's a season of unconditional obedience. And sometimes I think this becomes one of the hardest things to do is to be obedient to the voice of God even when it doesn't make any sense. Verse 7 says this. Sometime later... The brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he said, "Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon, and stay there." Now let's put our our, our position here in the shoes of this prophet. First of all, he declares this judgment over Ahab about no rain, and then immediately God says, "Go." to Kerith Ravine, and then he's there for a few months, and then God says, okay, it's time to go and leave, and now go to Zarephath. If I was Elijah, I'd be like, God, like, am I missing something here? Did, Did I hear you wrong? Is there something that I just, I just can't, I can't get my head wrapped around it. You keep going, and you keep telling me to do these things, and now it's drying up, and it's gone, and where am I going? What's the purpose of being here? Did I do something wrong? And he's going to learn, Elijah's going to learn a very Strong lesson through this. The same God who gives water can take water away because often God may cause the brook to dry up, to give us the courage to leave familiarity and go where we're supposed to be. It's all a preparation of what God is doing in his life and what God might be doing in our lives. So what brook is drying up in your heart, in your life? Is it the job you were trusting in that you no longer have? Is it the friends that were always there, but all of a sudden those friends are no longer there? They've turned on you. Or maybe it's just that you just feel so distant from God that your brook is so dry that you don't even feel the God or understand what God is doing in your heart heart. God, the same God who gives water, may cause the brook to dry up and give us the courage to take a step of total obedience, even when it doesn't make sense. So what does he say to him? Go to Zarephath. And I want to read the, the rest of this portion of scripture here in 1 Kings, because I think it really helps to put into perspective exactly what God is trying to do here So we're going to pick it up here in verses 8 through 9. And uh, let me just get here. And I want to read it from what's on the screen so we can read it together here. So this is what happened. Sorry, he's got to get there. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And she was going to get it. He called to her and said, also, can you bring me a bite of bread too? But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I are going to what? We're going to die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse and then finally died. Then she said to Elijah, oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on the bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? It is such a unique story. I would encourage you to read it in the totality in, in, in 1 Kings Because it's one of those stories that makes you shake your head. Because here is Elijah trying to understand what's going on. God... Uh, uh, giving the prophetic judgment, then moving him to Kareth Ravine, then moving to Zarephath, then going here, meeting this woman, telling her to go and please make me some bread, knowing full well that she probably doesn't have very much because of what's happening in the land. The woman's freaking out, saying, listen, I can't do that because I only have enough for my son and I. I'm going to make it, bake it, and die. And then he says, no way, it's not going to happen. God will make sure that you are provided for every single day until the rain comes again. And then all of a sudden, she makes a bread. And what has happened? That word he spoke over her, the faith that he believed to speak into an impossible situation happens. And then all of a sudden, her son ups and dies. Like mama's freaking out in the scripture here. And she's thinking, what Like, Elijah, why have you come here? Have you pronounced judgment because we are serving the wrong gods? Is this why you've come? And I don't know any other story in the history of the Bible that tells a story like this one. When Elijah scoops up this boy in his arms, walks up the stairs, lays him on the bed, puts his body over his body, and three times cries out to God to restore his life. And what does he do? He breathes life back into that boy and raises him. From the dead. Why did this happen? Because God took Elijah to the Carath ravine where he was cut down. He took him through a season of total dependence where he couldn't depend on anything but God and God alone. Then God dried up the brook, caused him to leave to where he ultimately needed to go so he could perform a miracle and raise the dead back to life. God used him in such a terrible, horrible uh, way with going through all those things in his life to bring him to this point where he had such faith to believe and to speak into an impossible situation. And some of you right now, you're in that season of deep pain, and God's saying, just hold on. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to bring you through it. You got to trust me, but just be obedient. And then all of a sudden, we look back to verse 1, Going back to verse 1, where it says, Elijah was described as Elijah the Tishbite. He was known from where he came from. 23 verses later, he's not known from where he came from, but he's known from whom he is from. And the story completely changes. And the woman says to him in verse 24, wow. Wow. Now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. God may allow you to go through these seasons in your life That season of breaking, that season of isolated pain and independence and total obedience of God. But you have to understand he's crafting you. He's molding you. He's shaping you into the woman and the man and teenager and child that God wants you to be. You just have to hold on. I will never apologize or make light of the scars that are on my life. And if you remember from my last sermon a year ago, and I shared very Very frankly with you, some of the things that my wife and I were going through in our marriage and trusting God through those things, those scars have made us who we are today. Those are scars that we can look back and say, I was at my Carruth Ravine, but God saw me through it. It wasn't a month. It wasn't two months. It was years. But God still came through because that's the type of God that we serve. And no matter where you are in your Carruth Ravine or what you're going through or what you might go through, down the road, you have to understand that your total dependence upon God and obedience to his voice will move the hand of God to do what he wants to do in your life as he's shaping you. And that's what I think we want, all of us. So when we are recognized by people, they don't look at you as just another person, but they look at you and say, there's something different about them. I've seen what they've gone through, and I've seen the shaping and the molding of what the God they serve. And who knows what God can use your story to touch those lives of those people that you come in contact every single day? The making of a man or a woman of God—they often go through the Kerith Ravine, so God can do in them what He wants to do before He does more through them. Let's pray, Father God. We just um, we thank you. We thank you first of all for your supernatural work that you do in each and every one of us when we we put our trust in you and, and, and our complete obedience to you. And so, God, I, I don't know every single person in this room, but you do. You know what season they're going through, or maybe they're not going through any season at all. But, God, I pray that as we walk this faith journey together as a community of believers, that, God, that you would just work in their lives. And, Father, if they're in that season of pain, May they sense and know that you are good, that you are a good God and a good king above all gods. And so I declare this over this body, this morning, God, do the work and bring them to a complete uh, sense of dependency and obedience to your word and what you're doing through them. And we ask it in Jesus name. Amen.